welcome to The Gardening Show on Radio Karam. Oh, sorry, I cut you off. Hi, everybody. <laughs> How are you doing? My name is Brendan. And I'm Henry. And we are the hosts of The Gardening Show on Radio Karam. We are excited to be joining you to talk about all things gardening and local food production. Uh, we are two local dads who share a passion for the garden, sustainability, growing food and just giving it a go. We also help run Downs Community Farm, which is a budding non-for-profit adjacent to the Seaford wetlands. And our mission is to promote and share the benefits of gardening and home gardening in our local community. We're going to be talking about gardening in general. We're going to be playing some tunes and hopefully engaging with our listeners um, with texts. And I'm happy to say we do have a text straight off the bat, which is excellent. Let's start it off with the acknowledgement of country. Of course. Thank you, Brendan. Uh, yeah, I'd like to start off by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we are broadcasting today. That's the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nations, and we want to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Excellent. So what did we discuss last week? It was a big show last week. It was a very big show last week. Two hours last week. Last week. Last fortnight. Fortnight. Two hours, I think. Two hours. It was. Yeah. It was a long one. It was really good. It was I, really I, good. I had a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so last week we did, we just discussed a lot of stuff. We talked about attracting beneficial insects and microbes. Um, we discussed permaculture principles uh, of our third permaculture principle, and that was about obtaining a yield. Um, we were looking at companion planting and survival crops and also seed saving as well. So there was a lot in there. That's it. I hope... Everyone was taking notes. Uh, <laughs> I also, I would like to set up a, sort of a show notes show kind notes? of system, yeah. I think. I'll, I'll have a talk to our radio manager about that. And that way, some of the things we talk about, people can go away and sort of look them up and not just have to sit there with a pad and a pen, which mm. I'm sure everyone is doing <laughs> at the moment. Uh, but today, what are we talking about? So we're going to talk a bit about gardening with kids. Yes. So as Two parents sitting here, um, Brendan and I, we'd, we'd like to talk a bit about activities that you can do in the garden, of course. Safety, that's a really big one, you know, protecting your plants and your harvests and, and things like that. So that'd be a really good one to get into. Mm. We're also going to talk about in-ground, uh, you know, growing food in the ground versus in raised garden beds versus mm. containers and pots. So some pros, some cons, some things to consider you know, what can you grow and where, that sort of thing. We'll talk about the fourth permaculture principle, which is applying self-regulation and accepting feedback. So that's a bit of a, well, you'll see, they all tie in together. I'm keen. I'm, I've been really enjoying this, the permaculture principles as we've been going along. And <laughs> really, it's for me, it's bringing it to, it's bringing new eyes to it. Um, mm. And I'm hearing about some of the things and, uh, and in fact, how it's, you've directed this info as well has really helped me to grasp it um, and some stuff that I hadn't really considered. So it's really great. Thank you. Uh, But this one is all about humble pie. This is about eating your humble pie, this Mm. one. So I I really like, um, I like this one and it's got, I've got some really good practical things you can walk away and do to, uh, to help really solidify that one. Yep. We're going to do a spotlight on uh, Alyssum or Sweet Alyssum. Yep. So um, I think the plan for us is really just to do a spotlight every week, either on a plant or a particular technique, mm. um, just a little something that we can dig into and sort of build that knowledge set for everybody. And then we'll finish it off 
with some recommendations that we have of uh, you know books or you know shows or YouTube channels or you know online resources that that we both go to mm. and that uh, we think could be a, of a lot of value to our listeners. Absolutely. So another big show. And <laughs> let's start it off by going through this uh, f- from one of our questions. Yes, uh, one of our listeners, John. G'day, Jonathan. Um, sent her a question. Hi, gents. Should I be worried? I have quite a lot of fungi uh, or fungi popping up in my raised veg beds. Mm. This is one that I've asked myself this question yep. years ago. Yep. Um, and yeah, take it away, Brendan. I think you've got a good answer for this. Yeah, certainly do. So like like what you were saying just a moment ago, Henry and Jonathan, as you've, you're currently experiencing, um, it can be quite common to, to get mushrooms and fungus popping up in the garden beds. Mm. Um, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, essentially what it's telling us is, or it's telling the grower is that the soil is is quite good. It's healthy. Uh, it's healthy. It's, mm. it's got mycelium in it. Um, it's got the, the mushroom networks underground. Um, it is good for the soil. It can be great for veggies as well, providing nutrients through to the veggies um, and back into the soil. Um, it can break down, mushrooms break down organic matter um, and the fungus will break down the organic matter. So it's a plus for organic matter as well. Yep. Um, and then I guess just on really it's up to personal preference. Um, if there, if you weren't looking for mushrooms to be inside and how would you get rid of them is mm. think about what mushrooms really love and that's going to be your humid, wet, dark, damp sort of environment. Yep. So any opportunity to dry out the soil, um, putting more drainage in, that sort of thing and probably picking those mushroom heads before they spore. Um, and as soon as you see them coming up out of the ground, just take them off, um, as we were discussing before, Henry. So, mm. yeah, so there's, there's, there's a lot of benefits to it. Is there any negatives that you can think of? I mean, there can be. I think mushrooms are a bit interesting. You know, they're obviously not plants because mm-hmm. they're closer to animals than they are to plants uh, in terms of their biology. But I think with, with mushrooms, as we know, some can some are delicious, some are deadly, some mm. are illegal, <laughs> you know. So mushroom identification is a whole, you know, kettle of fish that I don't think we want to get into and can be tricky. Mm. Um, even seasoned mycologists, you know, can, can get it confused sometimes. So if you're unsure or you're unaware or you're worried or you have kids running around in the garden – do a bit of research, you know, take some photos of those mushrooms, uh, not only from the top, but actually from below mm, of the yep. gills and, you know, the, the stem and do a bit of research and figure out what kind of mushroom it is, or what kind of fungus it is. And oh, yeah, it's not bound to be something poisonous. Um, if it's in the raised garden bed, yeah, it's likely yeah, not going to be a poisonous variety. It's going to be one of your variety. common ones that you see popping up at the park. Yep. Um, don't eat it, obviously. I would not ask anyone to eat any mushroom that they haven't grown specifically mm. themselves from a kit or perhaps you've gone foraging and you are trained or done a, a guided foraging course. That's great. Once it pop up in your garden, just see it as, yeah, healthy for the garden. If you're concerned, as soon as you see them popping up, just cut them down, chuck them in the compost, again, organic matter, mm-hmm. um, and just be happy that your soil has fungus in it, has mm. life, because soil is about life. Yep. You know, it's not about just the sand and the clay and the things that make it up. Um, 
Yeah. I hope that answers your question, John. So, I think it's a great question. Yeah. I hope, yeah, yeah. I hope we, we have answered the question. Mm. But I think in short, it's a great, uh, it's a great signal for healthy soil exactly. and happy soil. Definitely. Um, cool. So, as always, we're going to kick it off with a song, um, which, again, I have not queued up here. So, I'm doing two things at once. Uh, this one is Sunshine, of course. This is probably the 10th song I have picked with sunshine <laughs> the in word it. Words sun or sunshine in it. Uh, by 78 Saab. A great car. Hello, I'm Con. And I'm Stav. And, and we're we Eddie Nucky. You're listening to Radio Karam. And we are back. Welcome back to the gardening show with Henry and Brendan on Radio Karam. That's it. And once again, that was Sunshine by 78 Saab. And just a, a quick thank you to Jonathan again for sending in that message uh, and the question, which was wonderful. Um, just to jump on to that one as well, we would love to receive any texts and questions or feedback, comment suggestions, whatever it might be, mm. um, through to 0493213831. One more time, that's 0493 213831. That's it. Okay, so Henry, we are jumping on to our next topic, and Big that one. is gardening with kids. That's it. Um, we've both got young kids, uh, and we both want them to enjoy and learn mm. and, and spend time in the garden. Um, and there's like, there is a huge amount of benefit to learning. Um, for me personally, when, when we're walking through the garden with the kids and um, if, if my daughter turns around saying, oh, daddy, that's, that, that's peas or that's cucumber, uh, it, it lights me up. It's really, it's yeah. really wonderful. <laughs> um, I think it's really great to get kids engaged at a young age. Um, and if we're thinking about it, I love the fact that we're talking about where does food come from, thinking about our, our natural environment, mm. um, growing and caring for plants, um, getting them to eat fruit and veggies as well. So trialling things like snow peas or strawberries or berries or anything like that as you're growing them, it, it works quite well. That's, that's the big one for me, I think, is just getting, getting healthy green things mm. in kids' mouths. <laughs> yep, yep. So if they've got that connection and ownership mm. towards it and they know, oh, hang on a sec, I've grown this carrot, then the, the likelihood of them eating it down the track is, uh, is a lot higher. higher. <laughs> um, a big thing about, I, I think, with, with kids as well is remembering that um, – we want it to be fun. We know that we, we learn when we're having fun, especially mm. kids. Um, keeping it fun, we, we, uh, we don't want it to be working per se. Instead of something, um, uh, I, th- I think instead of maybe following mum or dad around the garden and saying, oh, I have to follow them around the garden, have them be curious, engaged and, mm. and want to spend time out there to discover. So trying to keep it fun and, and trying to keep it nice and light is always a good, a good strategy yeah. as well. Yeah, so there's obviously some things that we need to consider, though, because you know kids are kids, and they don't have the same situational awareness. Certainly not the same, <laughs> you know, risk aversion, hazard perception that we do. So it's important when you are, you know, when you have a young kid, especially, and you want to introduce them to gardening, is to just have a think about the space. Mm. You know, what hazards might exist? It could be sharp corners of garden beds. Yep, it could be. Uh, Water features, for example, that's a big one. Um, sunlight, 
how, how much sunshine is there there? Are there you know, slippery bits, yeah. slippery pavers? All these sorts of things are important to sort of just have a think about and ha- have a think about how you might mitigate those those risks and those potential uh, slips. Also think about, yeah, how long are you going to be in the garden for? Mm. Now, you know, you might not think about this because if I'm in the garden, a hundred hours could pass yep. and I wouldn't even, you're probably the same, right? Yeah, I yeah, wouldn't easily. even notice, you know, until it's like, ah, come on, dinner, <laughs> or you know, time, to get, time to get Tilly ready for bed. Um, you know, little people are going to need, you know, more frequent breaks for water. They're going to need ample snacks. You know, they're going to need sun protection, which... Mm. We should obviously wear sun protection as well. Of course, yep. Uh, it's a good reminder. Little things as well, you know, gloves, of course. You know, I'm very proud of my gardening calluses, you know, my sort of leathery workers' hands. But, you know, kids obviously don't have that hmm. um, yet. <laughs> so, you know, you can buy kids kids' gloves, uh, you know, at Bunnings or, or wherever. And little tools, you know, little, little kids' tools. They even just uh, regular sized tools, but making sure that they're maybe plastic mm. and a bit softer. And you know, my daughter, her trowel is a, is a an adult trowel, but it is plastic. So, you know, just making sure that there's no chance for any cuts or anything like that. Mm. Slip, slop, slap, of course. Sunglasses, if your child is willing to leave them on their head. Yep, yep. <laughs> Mine is not. Uh, and really importantly, uh, we talked about, you know, hazards is talk about or if your kid's not at that level yet of understanding is limiting their exposure to what they can't touch Mm, yep so we're talking any hazardous plants hopefully there won't be any hazardous plants in a in a home garden um but you know things that could potentially be poisonous if you eat them yep you know certain types of you know berries from um non-edible plants Nettles is a Nettles. big one. Yeah, yep. that's a big one. I still get stung constantly. Uh, it's more just annoying for me than anything else. But mm. I imagine for you know my my twenty nearly twenty one month old daughter, that would be quite harrowing to, mm. <laughs> to touch a touch a nettle. Stingers, you know, insects. If there's a lot of bees around, that's obviously great. Um, and typically they'll leave you alone. But yeah, kids will will grab at them potentially and. You know, that could that could be a big issue, and one that I I just thought of last night uh, because it's one thing that I I'm really bad I don't do this but care when you are dealing with any sort of garden materials that come in bags mm, yes so potting mix of course compost uh, you know straw you know any sort of mulch as well even your amendments like blood and bone. They all have the same warning on the bag, which is you know, wear gloves when you're using them and respiration or protection, um, you know, breathing protection because they do create dust and no dust is good in your lungs, of course, and especially not in your child's. So as I said, something I need to be better at is is wearing a, a dusk mask or an, I've got plenty of N95s around the house. Yes. I'm sure we all do. <laughs> sure <we don't. laughs> so, yeah, making sure that we are being careful and not breathing in, uh, particularly potting mix dust. Potting mix. is a really yeah. bad one. And it can cause issues like Legionnaire's disease if we're not careful. Um, so with kids, perhaps not doing that stuff when they're around and giving them some of the other jobs and activities and 
you know, some of the other play that you can do that doesn't involve that mm. at all is the important one. Potting mix is a really good one. Mm. Um, and I was thinking about that also. Um, obviously, we're <clears throat> quite a lot of the time we're going to be gardening outside in well-ventilated areas as well, which is mm. always nice. Yeah. Um, but perhaps if you were to take it out, maybe if it's undercover, to going out into the garden, for example, to get a little bit more airflow happening around there. Yeah. Um, yeah, great points, great points and really good considerations, I think. Um, I think with the potting mix as well, sometimes one of the strategies that I've used there is um, to kind of preset things up. So yeah. if I was going to do seed planting uh, and doing, yeah, some new propagation runs or something along those lines, yeah. I'd put it all in there first and then I'd actually have Charlie do something like poke a finger in to make the holes for the seeds to go in or get a... Um, uh, paddle pop stick to be able to push it down and, mm. and actually planting the seeds and um, divvying them up and things like that. That's I a think. good point actually is just before I forget is is I, I don't want to scare anybody either, mm. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The reason the bagged stuff is really bad is because it's dry and it kicks up dust. Mm. That's the dangerous stuff. So there's nothing wrong with kids playing around in the dirt. That's a good thing mm. if anything. Uh, one thing you might do is if that potting mix, uh, you know, setting up the activity for the kids – if the potty mix is quite dry, it's just to pre-wet it a little mm. bit. Yep, yep. Just good keep call. the dust out, you know, and then it's fine. You know, obviously wash your hands afterwards, all that sort of stuff. But mm. yeah, don't be afraid no, <laughs> to have no. your kids playing in the dirt. That's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we're definitely trying to think about what we would consider from a safety point of view mm. and definitely encouraging people to, to continue on and trial of things course. out. Yeah. Um, one of the things that uh, that I had thought about as well is just considering the age of the child and, and what they're capable of. Um, so from the ages of probably two or three, they're a little bit better at listening. Yeah. Sometimes, mine aren't, <laughs> but <laughs> um, think about how long their attention span is. Um, and just remembering that their little brains are taking in, in everything and just to be patient. Yeah. Um, uh, I... Actually, find sometimes with everything in daily life, especially I, I do find myself busy and things like that, and I'll get quite focused on doing a task and not taking a step back. But mm. actually, it's really nice to take a step back for a moment, stop, just watch the kids, yeah. see what they're doing, see how they're interacting um, with stuff around them, with the different plants and stuff, and just be curious about how they're curious. Yeah, yep. I um I actually asked Charlie just before coming here tonight and said or just during the day, and said, um, Charlie, what do you like in the garden? What do you like about gardening? And she said, um, she said, I like picking off caterpillars and insects. That's great. She said, uh, I like planting plants. And she said, I like playing in the dirt, so getting my hands dirty. Mm. And I said, oh, that's really great. Is there any, are there any insects that you don't touch? And she said, yes, I don't touch spiders. I said, that's great. Yep. Um, so it was really, it's nice to get that Successful little bit of feedback. Successful parenting, Brendan. <laughs> We're trying our best. Uh, um, and in terms of projects, um, I just want to think about what can we do with our kids um, in the garden. So some ideas as well. Mm. Uh, a few that I had was picking some flowers, pressing them, drying flowers is always a nice one. Uh, looking for insects. Planting, planting stuff just in general. Henry? Yeah. Just, just quickly on that one. I think, uh, yeah, pressing and drying flowers, that's one that I hadn't even 
remembered was a thing. We found this little kit a, a while ago in one of the shops and it, was, it wasn't too much and, and I think Charlie was curious about it and was like, what's this? And it had four or five, it's only small, probably about um, you know, a DVD cover size or yeah, so. Yeah, right. Um, and, you could, and it had a couple of layers in it and we picked some flowers straight away and, and pressed them and I think we've left them in there for about two months or so. We'll see how they go. Wow, something for me to try with, with my daughter. So some other ones. Uh, I, I just came up with all the classic ones that I remember from when I was a kid. So chia pets. Yes. <laughs> you know, chia seeds are incredibly cheap. Mm. I think you can just use the ones that you buy at the at the supermarket. I'm pretty certain. See how they right? go. Um, and, you know, sort of make a, I guess, like a slurry with them because uh, they have that gelatinous mm. quality that comes out when they're wet and then just slather them onto some sort of a form, mm-hmm. you know, or you can buy a kit. Adjacent to that, of course, um, any sort of seed raising in eggshells. So, they, you know, they get the uh, get the used eggshells, let them dry out or give them a wash and then put, you know, cotton balls in them mm-hmm. and put some seeds in there, maybe some alfalfa or, you know, that's always nice to add the, the edible component to that and nice, easy, simple up on the windowsill is a good one. Any sort of microgreens actually would be really great. Yeah, especially like they cut, and some microgreens come in, you know, wildly different colors as well. So mm. you can get you know, a bit of a bit of red, a bit of purple um, for the kids there. Building insect hotels. I know we talked about this one a few a few shows ago. Either from a kit if you're not super confident with the tools um, that you can purchase at, you know, at the the big green warehouse shop oh. <laughs> or, you know, if, if you've got a couple of tools around and a few bits of scrap, you can just knock one together and there's plenty of stuff online to, to help you through that process. Just harvesting veggies. Mm, I think picking, it, picking veggies. If in doubt, yeah, right, go to the food aspect, all right? So get out there. Um, maybe one thing I've done is I went to an up shop or to Savers or something and just bought a little harvest basket. You know, yep. sort of a really shallow basket, a nice small one that my daughter can hold and just go out there and, you know, this is obviously one for when they're a bit older because my daughter's just as likely to rip the whole thing out, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, but just collect things and then maybe make a salad. Yeah. You know, is a good one. Uh, painting plant pots. Yes. You know, now I love, I love a good terracotta pot. I love the look of a terracotta pot, but I'm happy to sacrifice a few if it's going to keep my daughter entertained with some paint. So, you know, brighten up the garden a bit. Yep. You know, and then I love it. Hang them up or, or do whatever you want to do with them. Fairy houses. I'm sure this is one that's going to come up for me <laughs> as my daughter gets older. But, you know, if you have a tree in your yard, you know, maybe having activity where you use plaster or something or wood to make a little door and paint it and, you know, bring a little bit of wonder to the garden. Mm-hmm. And uh, my last one here is I mean, if all else fails, uh, just get them to help you out doing regular gardening tasks. You mentioned Charlie likes to pick caterpillars. Yep. Great. Get out there. <laughs> start start finding them. Um, yeah. Are there any other sort of tasks that your kids just like I was, doing? I was just thinking actually when when we've been down at the farm, um, mm. down at uh, the, the Downs Community Farm, we um, – we 
we're doing barrow runs and so we're doing mulch yeah. and as Charlie would walk along with me um, and then once we had uh, emptied and tipped out the, the mulch, I just popped her in the front of the truck. I've done that with my daughter at the farm. And just bounced them along <laughs> and she loved it. <laughs> so that one was, um, yeah, just being careful and mindful, of course, but um, mm. yeah, absolutely loved it. Uh, and also mud kitchens. Yes. So just playing, just playing and uh She'll come up and say, oh, I've got something to buy for you. And I say, how much is it? She's like, $5. Okay. (laughs) Hand over invisible money and happy days. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, a a hot tip that I have, I suppose, for people is next time there's, you know, hard rubbish or you're at the op shop or, you know, anywhere where you can, I mean, you can go out and buy something new, I suppose. But have a look around for, you know, a little wheelbarrow. You know, start to create a little gardening set, a miniature version of what you have perhaps. So with my daughter, me and my partner were driving around one day during hard rubbish and we found outside of a, I think it was outside of a daycare or a youth centre, they had their big pile of rubbish and they had um, a little mini wheelbarrow, like a good one. You know, Beautiful. Like a good solid tray, metal handle, you know, like a nice wheelbarrow. And I looked at it, I was like, oh, it's a shame that the, the bucket part was, was cracked and broken. Mm. And lo and behold, there's another wheelbarrow, the exact same type, right next to it, where the tray was perfect and the frame and the wheel was all messed up. Yep. So I'm like, genius. So I chuck them both in the car. <laughs> I go home. I swap the tray over, have one nice wheelbarrow, one complete piece of garbage, which I then put out at my hard rubbish yep. two weeks later. And my daughter loves it. I mean, as much as a under two-year-old can love something like that. But an example of just getting them to help you out, I was filling a garden bed, which as you know, if it's a big one, this was about a cubic metre or so. Yep, that's quite a number of shovels. It's a lot of shovels. And, you know, uh, I wanted my daughter to be involved and she was hanging around. So I just put the little wheelbarrow there, put a few shovels of dirt in there for her, gave her her little trowel and she was just imitating me. You Love know, it. And, and yeah, helping. Yeah. <laughs> Inverted commas helping, but you know, having a good time. Yep. And if you know, if you've got really young kids, even half an hour of them having fun or doing something yeah. is yep. is great. And so. the stimulation to the brain is going to be really, you know, mm. it's really positive. It's not just going, okay, can you sit down in front of the TV whilst I That's it. have a cup That's of tea it. for 10 minutes or so? Um, yeah, great suggestions, great suggestions. That's and I it. think probably to wrap, in, uh, wrap that section up again, encouragement. Get out there, definitely give it a try with young kids, um, get them involved, great times. That's it. Let's go to another song before we get into our next section. So this, this next one is an absolute classic. I'm mm-hmm. glad you picked this song, Brendan. This is uh, A Hazy Shade of Winter by Simon and Garfunkel. Oi, oi. Oi, oi, oi. IGA oi. is shopping nights. IGA where the price oi. is right. Oi. Seaford North oi. IGA oi. for your groceries oi. and liquor. IGA oi. Express, oi. there's nothing oi. quicker. And we're back. Apologies there. Uh, Brendan and I were having such a robust conversation about a question that came in <laughs> during the song <laughs> that I think it ran into another song. It is all A good. little preview for the next song that's coming up. <laughs> um, but, yeah, do you want to have a, have a read of that one? Absolutely. So we did have a question that came through. Um, thank you, sender and listener. 
It's a very. I've heard this one before as well, so it's, it, it did bring a big smile to my face, um, and I'd love to hear more about it. But it <laughs> says, "Hey guys, I've always heard that peeing on lemon plants is good for them, but can you explain why? And are there any plants you shouldn't pee on?" And then a smiley face and thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great, great question, listener. I'm going to go with the classic permaculture answer mm. to any question you ever ask a permaculturalist. It depends. That's the answer. It depends. Yes. Is, is Yes in most cases. In um, short, yes? In short, yes, with many caveats, but let's go into it. So, well, why would pee be good, right? So urine. I'll use the word urine. Let's, let's talk scientific. This mm-hmm. is a gardening show. So urine uh, contains urea, mm-hmm. and urea is, is a compound that has nitrogen in it it's quite high in nitrogen so in that sense as we know if we're gardeners uh, one of the three macronutrients that um, plants need is nitrogen mm-hmm. the others being phosphorus and potassium so NPK as, as we know on the side of the uh, the bag you're going to have a ratio of NPK nitrogen in particular is what plants need to grow the leaf matter mm. what helps them grow the leaf matter so in that sense it's one of the most if not the most important component in any fertilizer this is nitrogen content when you get to fruit growing it's it changes but let's just let's just get that one down so yes urine is very high in nitrogen mm. so that's great and as we know citrus any citrus uh, plant uh, they're very hungry which means they need a lot of nutrient Part of that is the fact that they are evergreen. So they don't have a dormant period um, like, let's say, apples do. Mm-hmm. So they're constantly growing. Um, and, you know, you can kind of just tell, you know, where, where does citrus come from? They come from I think, mainland China, I believe, mm. around that sort of areas where, where citrus comes from originally. Um, you know, dense vegetation. They've got like leathery, smooth sort of leaves, you know, big juicy fruit, that requires a lot of energy, right? And a lot of nutrient to produce. So this is why, you know, the classic Australian garden of, uh, well, the classic post-colonial Australian garden of uh, has a lemon tree, a hill's hoist and, and, you know, a lawn. So that's, of course, why it came up, I mm. think, in sort of popular folklore culture that you pee on the lemon tree. And you can totally still do that. Absolutely. In fact, most fruit trees you can very happily pee on. You can also pee on other things in your garden, uh, your veggies. <laughs> I didn't think it was gonna, this show was going to go this way. <laughs> but uh, in essence, you can use it like any kind of nitrogen fertilizer. Yep. The caveats here are, number one, it is quite strong. Mm. So if you are comfortable doing this, you're going to want to water it down a fair bit. Uh, look it up online, but I've read things from one part urine to 10 parts water or more. Okay. You know, like with all fertilizers, little and often is better than a lot all at once. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. You don't want to burn your plants. Of course, yeah, if we're talking about growing veggies, I don't think you want to eat a lettuce that you've just peed on. No, <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> so, so in that sense, 
it it depends on the use case. You know, perhaps you have a, a bed that you are resting mm-hmm. for a season, so you're not growing anything in it, or you're just growing a cover crop. Nothing yep. that you're going to eat necessarily. You might want to boost that cover crop by putting some watered down urine on it. No issue. Um, another thing to to take note of is is if you are unwell. You know, I know everyone knows or thinks that urine is sterile and in a survival situation, if you had to, you know, <laughs> you could drink it or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, it is to a, to an extent, but if you are unwell, you can pass disease on mm. through it into the garden and then potentially through to other people. So that's something to really consider. But yeah, I mean, in the world of permaculture, you do meet, a fair few, you know, old hippies, let's put it that way, uh, some real amazing characters. And I have been to, I have visited permaculture homes and um, the person, you know, showing us around has said, yeah, if you need to pee, just go around the shed. There's a bucket there and just go in the bucket. So, you know, they're yep. collecting fertilizer, right? So, yes, that's my answer to you, listener. In short, Yes, with a lot of caveats. If you really want to just be safe and not have to worry too much about it, I would stick to trees, fruit mm-hmm. trees, because again, even if you are unwell, the chance of any disease or anything, it, it won't be able to travel up a tree trunk mm. and into an apple. That's just not how it works. So that's the safest use case. Um, yeah, if you're healthy, if you're if you're feeling good and you know, it's spring's coming and that lemon tree looks like it might need a bit of a boost. Go for it. Go for it. That's my, that's my very not short answer. No, no. <laughs> to was, that question. Look, it's a, it's a detailed, it's a detailed answer. And it's a really interesting one because everybody's heard that before. Yeah. Pee on the lemon trees. Mm. I've, I've heard it a hundred times and not too sure if it's a bit of folklore, not too sure if it's a bit of myth, yeah. um, but great to sum it up and to say, in short, yes, but with a few caveats and also your considerations, what you're comfortable with and all of those sorts of things That's as it. well. And we will, we'll actually will be talking about this next week mm. in a little bit more detail. It's sort of garden folklore. Myth. Garden myths. Garden, garden myth. myth. We're going to become myth busters next week. There's a lot of them. There are a lot of myths to bust, uh, a lot of folklore to unpack and um, yeah, well, we'll save it for then. <laughs> All right. So let's jump into our next one. We were talking about um, planting methods. So in ground uh, versus raised beds versus containers and pots. Yep. Take us away. Absolutely. So these are your three most common ways to, to plant plants. <laughs> um we will go into some of the more out there methods, um, which I know you're very interested in. So aquaponics and hydroponics, aquaponics, hydroponics. Yep, aeroponics. Aeroponics, thank you. Yep. All of those, um, you know, air plants, I guess is their own little category of just nothing, I suppose. <laughs> but anyway, um, but the, the typical ones you're going to come across uh, when you start out gardening and it's going to depend very much on your own situation and your own preferences, of course, is is in-ground, raised, or some sort of a container. So we'll start with in-ground. Now, in-ground is the most, I guess, traditional way, the most natural, normal way to grow plants. I mean, it's how they grow in nature. Um, Some of the real, I guess, benefits here is that it provides plants with ample space for their roots to spread out. Mm, Yep. 
something that obviously pots don't do anywhere near as much, uh, and allowing them to access a wider range of um, or wider area of, of potential nutrient and water just from that, that having more soil volume essentially. Yeah, so for example, like a taproot going might go deeper mm. into the ground a metre or so, um, whereas obviously sitting in a pot, you're not going to be able to have that sort That's of reach. It. Yeah, Or you have the classic, you know, the plant root comes out the hole at the bottom. And then goes into the ground. And into the ground and you try and move the pot. You're like, what's going, what's going on here? Um, also, you know, with the exception, of course, of, of clay soils, and we'll, we'll talk in another show about soil amendments, soil types and things like that, but... Uh, decent normal soil is, in the ground is going to have good drainage. You know, there's no bottom, essentially. It just mm. keeps going bedrock, I suppose, but how far down is that? And fewer temperature fluctuations, especially if you are, you know, like us near the coast, um, that you've got that essentially thermal mass. And I've, I know I've touched on thermal mass in previous permaculture topics, but... The earth is the biggest thermal mass of all, really. So it allows a, a little bit more consistency in that sense. And that does promote a healthier root system and therefore overall plant growth. Uh, it can require more extensive maintenance in terms of the, the volume of weeding that you'll have to do um, and more chance for things to come into the garden, I mm. suppose, from external uh, you know, pests and things like that regular soil improvement, but that's, I mean, that's going to be the case no matter what you do. And one note, really important one is, is potential pollution. Mm, yep. And if you live in the city, um, in Melbourne, I know the worst place for this in Melbourne is the inner north. So, you know, North Melbourne, maybe up to about Coburg or Preston or maybe Reservoir, a little bit more. A lot of these areas pre-suburb were tips quarries or tips mm. or quarries and then tips and then as the houses moved out the tips moved out and what happens then is you can get lead pollution and lots of different kinds of heavy metal pollution but the main one is lead and lead is incredibly dangerous mm. heavy metals are no no good no good once they're in your system they're in your system and veggies in particular um, are very susceptible to this again fruit trees like with the pea thing fruit trees not so much. Lead can't travel up a tree trunk. No way. But it can get into a lettuce, for example, mm. or, you know, maybe something like a, a tomato. So if you are going to be growing in ground, no matter where you live, but especially if you live in a suburban area, you should be doing uh, a soil pollution lead test. I don't have the details with me right now, but I do know that at least this was true as of a few weeks ago. There are free tests available um, by some Victorian government department. I don't know which one it would be, mm. the relevant one, um, in collaboration with the university, I think. Anyway, I've read about this. I've been told about this. I'll try and get the information and maybe bring it up in the next show um, where you can send away soil samples and get, and get free test results. Yeah. I think they're trying to really just map out where the lead pollution is it's a fantastic idea Melbourne. and it's a good initiative as well because, mm. I mean, from a growing point of view, we, we, we don't want to be taking on those heavy metals or lead no. or those sorts of things. And if you know that your garden natural soil base 
does have some sort of contamination, it can then steer you to, to maybe look at bringing in outside soil into raised beds. It doesn't necessarily end your idea of using that garden space. No, it just, just alters it. Yeah. It alters it and it might just change your plans a little bit. That's it. Mm. Uh, yeah, so that, that's that's my my points on in-ground planting. What about you, Brendan? Mm. So I, I looked through and I added a couple more as well, but you did touch on on quite a lot of mm. really good ones and through, through these next points as well. Um, uh, what I was looking at with in-ground planting, one of the benefits here versus raised beds and container pots is the ability to landscape and build up over time. So we talked about... Um, or I would love to talk about food forests later on down the track, but adding multiple layers, landscape dynamics, integrating into larger and larger garden regions or garden structures. Um, and I, th- I think that in ground as well, you've got lots of different growing methods um, and places you can plant. So you can look at things like garden rows, you can look at um, food forests, you can look at mixed rows, pioneer fruit trees. Mm. You can look at structures. I know it's a very common one, but things like herb spirals um, made from bricks that are going to create little microclimates and all sorts of things like this. So um, direct into ground, there's quite, uh, I see quite a a variation of different um, uh, dynamic that you can build into it, especially for larger ones, larger gardens that are maybe creeping outside of just raised beds. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And... Of course, yeah. It goes without saying you can mix and match oh, of and course. have all of these things in the same garden. Yeah, you know? for sure. Um, it's a combination, I think. Mm, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, and, and I, I will I'll go back to the lead thing for one mm. second. I mean, I know in this area, because I have seen some maps, it is much less likely for there to be lead pollution in our area okay. compared to those sort of inner north suburbs just above Melbourne. So yeah, take that with a grain of salt. Obviously, still get tested if you can, but... Mm. You know, I, I don't want to scare anyone again from not doing something, you know. Uh, that's that's in ground. Now, raised beds. So this is a, a classic one, of course. Uh, there's a lot of good reasons why you might want a raised bed. But just, just to um, kick it off, raised beds are constructed above the ground level. Anything from, you know, just above the ground level might be 10 centimetres above, just a little border made of timber or bricks. Uh, all the way up to, you know, maybe a meter mm. or maybe more even, but uh, you know, comfortably I'd say a meter at most, uh, and filled, you know, filled with a mix of soil, compost, other organic matter. You might do a hugel culture type thing where you start with logs and then twigs and sticks, and you know, you got to think about that with raised beds. Is it, it can be expensive. If you're going to fill it with straight, so, with straight rich <laughs> compost and soil, yeah, it. for sure. And it's not going to be necessary because most veggies at least don't really have deep root systems Mm. or certainly deeper than 30 centimeters so you can absolutely fill the bottom with all of your garden detritus and kind of make up that volume being aware of course that that will settle and you'll have to top it up more often until it becomes more you know uniform i suppose in composition they can be purchased uh Mm -hmm. so one of the i mean australia's pretty famous for the birdies raised garden bed. Uh, they're the, the classic sort of galvanized steel ones um, that come in, you know, square, round, roundish square sort of shapes. Um, they're starting to become pretty big all over the world, uh, but they were and are still made here and they last almost forever. A bit expensive though. 
or DIY. You know, timber is a is a pretty classic one. Again, a point of note: if you're going to use timber, make sure that it is safe to use. So, not using um, you know treated timber, yep, um, or house timber. And if you are um, sort of coating the inside of it with something impermeable, so mm. maybe black plastic, or in my case, because I have done this and have used that timber, is um, galvanized steel sheets on the inside. On the inside. Yeah. Actually, so, that's a really good idea. And I framed it out. So it's like kind of wood galvanized sort of thing. Mm. Um, yeah. Bricks, cinder blocks. A cinder blocks is cool too. So you can plant in the cinder blocks around the border. Any number of things. Uh, they do offer better control over the soil quality, as we, as we mentioned, uh, drainage as well. Uh, aeration, especially in areas where your native soil is very poor. Mm, yeah, and great in, point. In Victoria, you know, this could mean very sandy in some parts, uh, especially around this area and a little bit, a little bit north of this area. You know, around you know, Brighton and Sandringham and around there, there's a lot of sandy soil. There's a lot of clay and really heavy clay areas too. And here, we're very lucky that we live in a swamp area, so we <laughs> we've got some 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 tricky things to deal with too. Uh, so you can really control that and fine tune your mix of soil for your purposes. They do warm up faster in spring, which is nice, um, being you know being a, a bit of a smaller volume, and that can extend your growing season potentially and improve your yields and. They're obviously great for accessibility reasons, you know, less bending over and kneeling, uh, which can get a lot harder as you get older or maybe you just have, you know, accessibility needs that are are different. Um, yeah, what about what else with raised beds? <laughs> I was just, uh, it, you, you harked me back to a comment that you uh, made earlier and that was thermal mass and, and mm. it popped into my head again when you spoke about the a raised bed warming up quicker in, yeah. in spring. Um <clears throat> I like it. Um, I was thinking about this as well. Access is a huge one. Yeah. Um, from versatility point and from just an access standpoint, as mentioned, um, my my grandma she was a she was an avid gardener in in her time and especially in her later years, and she created her garden, maintained it so she could access it easily. But it did become difficult and it does become difficult. So something like a waist-high for wheelchair mobility, waist-high beds, mm. when we were talking about corrugated iron, often you see some of those larger, you know, metre, metre and a half yep. or so. Um, I think noted down here wheelchair access is about 1,200 mil. Yep, that's um, it. 1.2 metres when is the, the recommendation to allow wheelchair to go in but also to turn around yeah, between yep. rows and stuff. Yeah. Um, waist high for wheelchair access and mobility and just get creative with what you can do. Mm. And another little point here that, that I had was over at the community garden at Joy of the Earth, oh, yep. um, they've got community beds in a hexagonal shape and there's an entrance to that hexagon with multiple different beds around it. And so even if you've got one of the beds that's not right on a corner, you mm. can still access it from both sides. Yeah. Um, they're not huge, huge beds, so it's within arm's reach as well from both yeah. sides. And and really there's that that's great and that's quite helpful. Um, and they've also got ones where 
it's not going all the way down to the ground. So they've mm-hmm. built a frame and then it might only be a 30 centimetre shallow bed, yep. but you can almost roll under it if you had a wheelchair so that it's like a desk, if oh, that makes sense. That's a great idea. And then having it so that, again, you could pivot and turn to your right and, and access the garden and to turn mm. around to the left. So you could almost kind of wheel into a spot and then go in and, and access the garden that way. Um, and obviously just huge encouragement for, for anybody, even if we do have access issues and, um, and challenges there, to still know that you can be involved and, and you can participate and you can get great results and have fun in the garden as well. Yeah, uh, that's that's great. I, yeah, I remember you showing me these hex, hexagonal beds at Joy of the Earth and it's like a really nifty idea. It is, it's a cool one. Um, yeah, and I really like just the, the, I guess the versatility to create a space that works for you. So mm. in my garden, for example, I do have one more classic kind of rectangular bed, um, sort of, yeah, the timber and corrugated iron sort of style. And then I have a very, very fit for purpose in that space bed that I've created. It's a sort of double, it's a two and a half keyhole bed is what I'm calling it. Okay. So essentially it's a large E shape. Yep. With another little bit coming off the back. Yep. And that's so I could have it span a wall and then also come out into the garden, but allow access with a wheelbarrow. And and basically instead of just having one large bed that's two meters by four meters, it's mm. gonna be really hard to access. Uh, I've got sections that are a meter wide and then a long meter wide section and then a little E thing coming out. So just you know, that's what worked for my space. Yep. And I just could, no, because I was making them myself, I just custom built it to that shape. Yeah, that's a really <clears throat> a really good thing about those. And one last little point as well is if you do have um, kids, um, you can kind of tailor it so that the beds are just high enough that when they're old enough to be trusted <laughs> amongst the tomatoes, <laughs> that they can reach them. But maybe when they're a bit younger, the beds are a bit too high for them to get into. That's a good point. Yep. Unless maybe you you know you hold them up there and, and do it with them. And dogs, and dogs. Is another yes. one too. You know, same sort of sort of situation there. Although at the moment, uh, our GSP is jumping up onto the raised bed, so up, <laughs> and this is a probably one point two meters or so, um, and it's a retaining wall, um, and then he'll jump wow. into the bed and has decided that that's a great start place to start digging. I think he's taken about. 30 or 40 seedlings in the last couple of weeks. Yikes. Okay, oh. maybe scratch that last bit. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> I need six foot fences. Six foot, I need a ladder to climb up into the garden bed. <laughs> Dog dependent. Yes. Um. So we've got raised beds. We've done in-ground. Now we've got the the last one. So this is, is I think, the most versatile of the methods mm. in terms of um, – how much you can change it. And this is pots and containers. Okay. So ideal for limited spaces. So, and, and indoor, of course. I, I don't think I've ever seen anyone build a raised bed inside. Maybe in a attached greenhouse, sort of earth home kind of thing. But, um, you know, yeah, limited space, so indoor gardening uh, or growing specific plants that might require a unique condition or a unique kind of soil mm. that is different to the rest of your soil. So the example I always think of is orchids. Now, I'm I'm sure at some stage in my life I will become the 
the wacky old orchid guy. <laughs> not not just yet, um, but you know, orchids do require a very specific type of soil. It's, it's you can't even call it soil. It's basically bark and a few other things um, to grow. So you can't. It's very hard to just chuck it into a, a veggie mix and have it be successful. Mm-hmm. So those sorts of situations are, or you know, uh, let's say you you are a renter, as another big one, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, you're a renter and you uh, you want fruit trees. You got to toss up whether it's worth your time putting fruit trees in the ground, mm. given how long they might take to fruit, and the effort and energy you might have to put into them uh, to to get them to that point. But most fruit trees can be grown in pots, maybe very large pots, maybe put them on wheels if that's the case. But you can totally have a, a bumper crop of apples or lemons or persimmons or you know whatever it is uh using containers if if you go down that way again just like the raised beds they can be purchased Mm -hmm. um lots of i mean go to the bunnings garden center and there's just walls of of pots but you don't have to go that far uh lots of things can be repurposed almost anything can be repurposed as long as it is food safe and has drainage holes. That's the big one that I have forgotten that so many times that I've drowned plants. Um, but, you know, wine barrels, that's a classic one, the sort of half wine barrel. Uh, styrofoam boxes, uh, you know, you've probably seen these around as, as someone with a Mediterranean heritage uh, or, you know, European heritage. Um, that's a real classic, you know, old nono way of growing stuff is the old big old styrofoam boxes, right? Really, yep. really useful. Buckets. Tin cans. You can grow two lettuces in a tin can. I'll tell you that right now. So, Like an old tin of Milo? Is that what we're talking? You, or? Could, grow, you could probably grow four in there. I'm talking a bean can, but you, okay, you could probably okay. grow four lettuces in there, you know. So you can be super creative yep. with containers. And, yeah, just literally just from rubbish on the floor, you can make a container out of it. Um, that, you know, as I said, they offer flexibility, so you can move them around and into optimal locations based on sunlight, temperature, aesthetic preferences. Um, maybe something gets a bit too big and it's crowding other things out. You can just move it on the other side. Not exactly possible when you're growing in ground. Mm. Um, yeah, what else? I actually saw it. It reminded me there was a – it was must have been on Gardening Australia. It was many years ago, but it was a um, very, very keen gardener who was renting and – pretty much the whole garden and I'm talking there were 100 plants plus and they were all in pots or styrofoam containers or something that could be transported and moved yeah. and I just thought it was awesome that this person could take their passion and what they put so much energy into it yeah. and pick it all up and take it straight across to the next the next property or whatever that living situation might be. Um, I thought it was really great. Um when we were looking at, so we were, we did actually mention a few things about flexibility, moving plants to optimal locations, um, monitoring soil uh, as they can dry out faster. I think we, we kind of mentioned that a little bit uh, earlier. Yep. Um, high frequency of watering, so being just paying attention to the water and the nutrient levels due to a limited soil volume. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just caring for those plants. So we can't, unfortunately, just set and forget a fruit, um, just a pot plant forever. No. Things will happen that will get root-bound in containers over time, and so you do need to be able to repot and um, 
careful, carefully sometimes prune roots prune as well. Roots. Yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, a clear indication of that is if you go to move it, it doesn't move because the roots have grown through the bottom <laughs> and they've grown into the soil. And then Anchor obviously yeah. that's a great that's a great indicator to say, hang on a second, I think I've gr- I need a trim or I've outgrown the pot that yep. I'm in. Um, <laughs> One that just in terms of, of uh, uh, one that popped into my mind a, a moment ago was the agave. Oh, yeah. Um, and when the agave grow, the the root structure of that, when I had it in a pot, it wrapped all the way around and it went to a solid block. And it was almost like there was mm. no, by the time I took it out of the pot, I'd left it way too long but by the time i took it out it almost had no soil left and it was just a big ball of root um and thankfully and fortunately with the agave you can actually just chop it straight off and take some can take it yeah yep and just leave it pop it straight it back into the ground Mm -hmm. without any root structure and it will quite quickly form um some further root structures which is great um, but one thing I did mention, you kind of mentioned it before, Henry, but with all the talk, talk about pots and beds and materials, um, you said that it doesn't have to be expensive and it doesn't have to be brand new, and I totally agree. Um, uh, some places like op shops, um, Salvos, Vinnies, often have things that we can repurpose. Sometimes they've got furniture and things like mm-hmm. that as well. And another little place that's a local place is the um, Frankston Recycling Centre, the FRRC. Um, it's down Bellardo Road and uh, heading out towards um, Western Port Highway uh, okay. on the right-hand side. It has a treasure trove shop. And so that's like an op shop that's part of, that's attached to that recycling centre. So often if we're going and dropping off um, household stuff or green rubbish or whatever it might be we whip whip around to the shop we go and have a look in there and it's got a lot of stuff i'll go there if i'm looking for seeds for propagation um just pots in general bits and pieces like that i think that's a it's a gold mine and sometimes you can even find your chance across totally unique stuff and you might look at it and go oh that's really great that's a an old bathtub and i want to use that or it might be whatever it might be a broken wheelbarrow or um those sorts of things. Um, yeah, that's that's one of the few little bits that I wanted to mention. It doesn't have to be expensive. I, I love that you've mentioned that because I, I'm sure I've been told about this place before and I still haven't gone. And I always go to the Mornington one. Uh-huh. Okay. The Outlook. Yeah, it's the shop attached to the tip. Yep. Basically. And yeah, the whole front of it is essentially a nursery, a small nursery um, with, you know, plants and, and new pots as well. And then you go inside and it's, it's, it's every awesome op shop you've ever been to joined mm. into one. And then at the back is the building materials section. Ah, I'm going to have to check out so Mornington. If you need timber, I'm currently building a chicken coop and I wanted to find a, you know, a decent-sized window that's a screen window with glass that can move up and down mm. for the side of the chicken coop. And I was like, I'll just go there today and have a look. And boom, there you go, 10 bucks. That's perfect, you know, take it home. So... Yeah, I'm, I've never been to this one, the Frankston one, so I'm going to go there, I guess, this week at some point. <laughs> and I, I, I kind of wanted to stress, I, I really, me naturally, I'm a very much a, uh, a bit of a minimalist, so mm. I'm not very much of a hoarder. Um, Good. And I won't go through there and just <laughs> simply grab everything. Yeah. Um, sometimes it will be a little bit opportunistic and I'll have something in mind, just as you kind of mentioned, yeah. and think, you know, I'll... I'll just keep the eyes open for 
something like this, a mirror or a window or a mm. grate or a frame um, and then keep that in mind. And if you've got a bit of patience, it might be you might not find it immediately but another visit you might find something that will work for you. That's it. I've gone a few times before I found it, you know, just yeah. keeping it in mind you know, because they, they get new stuff all the time. That's yep. the great thing about these places. But, yeah, just to wrap up this section, so each of these methods, you know, in-ground containers um, – Raised beds, beds, thank you, uh, they all have their advantages and their disadvantages. So the choice really depends on the factors of, you know, how much available space do you have, what sort of plants are you wanting to grow, or how, how different are the needs of these different plants, what's your local climate, and what's your gardening needs uh, in terms of accessibility and your gardening preferences in terms of, again, accessibility or aesthetics or just, you know, anything at all that you, you know, what, what you prefer. So in-ground planting really suits, you know, someone who wants a very traditional style of gardening uh, with ample space. And if you don't have a lot of time, someone that's maybe comfortable with things being a little bit wild because it can get wild pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Raised beds are definitely more for those people that like something that looks maybe a little bit neater. Of course they can be softened the edges can be softened with you know trailing hanging plants and things but someone who wants maybe a better control of their soil either by necessity or just by preference uh, or just wants increased accessibility of course and pots and containers are really for people who have maybe a very limited space or no outdoor space and just want to grow indoors or yeah have those specific plants that have special conditions so there's, there's something for everyone and as we said at the start, there's no rules. No. Put a pot in a raised garden bed. Why you know, not? you can totally do that. I've, I've, I've done it, <laughs> you know. I love that. No, no rules whatever. approach is good. No rules. It's gardening, you know. Plants don't follow rules. You shouldn't either. No, do what works for you. Experiment. <laughs> Try it out. <laughs> Rebel gardening show. Let's go to a song before we sure. get into some permaculture. So this one is Heirloom, another great uh plant term i suppose by suvian stevens hi everybody this is wit from spider bait when i'm passing through Karam, aside from slowing down to 50 kilometers an hour and reminisces about doing the ill race road rumba or the whatley street wiggle i like to tune in to radio Karam and get down with the good vibes and we are back on the gardening show, Radio Karam, Henry and Brendan. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, once again, that song was Heirloom by Sufjan Stevens. Let's get into some permaculture. Permaculture principles. Let's put on our permaculture hats. So we're up to number four in the permaculture principles. Mm. And this one is applying self-regulation and accepting feedback. Wow. Yeah, so this is this is one that can be uncomfortable for some people, mm, yep. particularly people who are quite headstrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it does, if we go back for a second to the first permaculture principle, which was... Observe and interact. Hey, there we go. Hey. Nice. Awesome. Let's high five that one. <laughs> yeah, I hope you can hear that, <laughs> listeners. Um, this is kind of, the, I think, the nat- for me, the natural progression of that. Mm-hmm. So observing and interacting, I mean, we should always be doing that, but especially before we start making any 
decisions, significant decisions, especially in the garden uh, and, and knowing what we're working with. And this is the kind of the ongoing process of, you know, I guess, let me, let me just get into what I've written here because it's probably about to explain it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this no, go, so, go for it. Uh, I mean, this really, uh, applying self-regulation and accepting feedback embodies, embodies a, a fundamental aspect of the permaculture philosophy. Um, so it's really seeking to create a sustainable and balanced system that works in harmony with nature. That's just permaculture in a nutshell. But this one really, this principle really embraces the notion of being mindful and responsive. That's the two words I would use, mindfulness and responsiveness to the environment and taking in what the garden is telling us and putting things into place for ourselves um, so that we can understand the patterns, the limitations and and keep the system working in a good way, right? Mm. So imagine yourself, Brendan. Okay. You, are, you are a steward of the land. Yes. You are responsible for designing and managing a permaculture garden or a permaculture farm. Now, you could, of course, impose some pretty rigid structures upon the landscape. Mm-hmm. So an example of that would be like a, you know, a traditional monocrop farm, perhaps. Or you take the time to observe and, and study the unique characteristics of your, of your, of your patch and by doing that, you're getting really valuable insights into the specific needs and the potential of your environment. Which one would you rather do? Force it into a tiny box and say, <laughs> you must grow this way. No. <laughs> and, um, no, very much. I'm, I'm, I hear this this part of it, which is uh, you were saying responsive and ongoing, um, mm. which I really, I think really resonates there um, about that this to, to constantly to allow feedback to come on board in some ways and sometimes it might be the garden telling us that, that yep. things aren't going right and wrong. Um, it might not necessarily give us the exact answer but it might just say trial something else or have a think because maybe this isn't working and I kind of think back to the the climbing fig from a couple of shows ago yep. where it really hated that position um, and I could... I could definitely keep it there, but the plant's not going to live very long, unfortunately, and I'll probably lose it um, as a result. But yeah, that's keep, keep going, keep, keep filling me you in. Go. You accepted feedback, mm. right? Uh, so again, I, like with all these things, it, I, I struggle to write a lot about it because it is so self-explanatory mm. in mm. some ways. So it's, for me, it's really about the practical tools that you can use, or when you are designing a space is seeing how many of these, for each element in the space, it might be your chicken coop or your veggie beds or your grapevine deck, you know, whatever it is, how many of these principles are you tapping into at the same Mm. time? And ideally, the more, the better. That's sort of how these work in in a design sense in permaculture. But yeah, so yeah, of course, we'd rather work with the environment and, you know, know that it's an evolving and a growing system and over time things are going to change. Your neighbour might cut down their tree or they might bring in a giant tree for a significant cost and then shade half of your garden, mm. you know. So we need to be accepting that feedback. That's one part of it. Self-regulation, though, is the part that I really like uh, and that really interests me. So it's it's a few things. Self-regulation isn't just about 
limiting yourself. So you could take that view of it. So, you know, limiting your use of purchased materials or new materials Mm -hmm. is one way to self-regulate. But it's also just generally the acceptance that and the recognition that resources are finite and overconsumption of, you know, resources uh, can lead to degradation of of yourself, of the environment, of your wallet, yep. <laughs> your bank balance, right? It all ties into it. And this is, this is permaculture, right? It's about the big and the very small. These apply at any scale. So therefore, this permaculture principle, especially the self-regulation part of it, emphasizes using your resources as wisely as possible mm. uh, and putting things into place to do that to make it easier for yourself to do that positive reinforcement or to discourage you from doing things that you shouldn't negative reinforcement Mm. right so both of these come into it and ideally by doing that you are optimizing your yield which is of course what we want and and not causing harm to the environment so one example that i might use is rainwater yep right we talked about it a little bit already harvesting rainwater instead of using mains water you know, water is pretty abundant on this planet, sure, but fresh water is becoming more scarce over time. But it does fall out of the sky, so you have that ability to capture it and remove the need to bring in that. Well, it is a purchased resource. You do have to pay for mains water, hmm. so that, that's one way of doing it. Again, implementing an e- efficient irrigation system, so limiting the amount that you might have to use of mains water if possible. Yep. Uh, by putting in the time and effort to to do that and ensure that you're using it effectively. Creating your own compost is another one instead of purchasing bags from the nursery, you know. Um, I don't necessarily have anything against nursery compost. I buy it myself sometimes, you know, especially since I haven't fully set up my composting system yet. Mm -hmm. But they do come in plastic bags and that plastic obviously is made from oil and and yada, 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 as as we know. So limiting that um, or at least if you do have to use it sort of limiting your use to maybe things that are organic as opposed to you know, synthetic yep. or you know using synthetics so yeah basically you know permaculture is, is not about a one-time design it's an ongoing relationship with the land uh, nature is providing you this feedback um, so it might be a certain crop fails to thrive as you described of course in a particular area uh, instead of getting discouraged or annoyed, which I have certainly been guilty of in the past, why are my tomatoes not doing well? Just take everything as a, a great lesson. Mm. Gardening is a learning experience. Good, I'm sure. good lesson. Yeah, right? Everything is a good lesson. doesn't matter how horribly you fail in the garden. The more you fail, the more you learn. Yeah. You know, and this is, this is very different to what you might learn in school. Where like the more you fail, the worse you do. You no, know? yeah, you have to get it right the first time, yeah, of course. Yeah, right. You've got to figure out where you want to be when you're 16 years old. This is more about taking everything with a, you know, with, with a bit of joy and being like, oh, I can't. well, of course the banana didn't work there. That's ridiculous. You yeah, know? And, yeah. And trying to have a bit of fun with it. Um, and then through observing those consequences uh, is just, yeah, performing the actions that um, – make those adjustments Mm. possible and allow you to keep doing them. And potentially that might mean changing your behavior 
through negative or positive reinforcement. So I don't want to keep repeating myself. So I'm going to stop it there, but I'm going to leave everyone with a few, and you, Brendan, of course, with a few practical things you can do to start putting this into play. Please, yes. So I know I've mentioned this before, probably in our first, yeah, it would have been our first episode with the Observe and Interact. You need to get a garden diary. <laughs> I can't, I can't uh, encourage people enough to do this. You can't control what you don't monitor, hmm. what you don't observe and what you don't record. So make sure you're recording everything that happens in your garden. Because the thing about gardening is it is very cyclical hmm. and those cycles aren't necessarily short. You know, If we're talking annuals, it's an annual cycle, right? So once a year, you're going to know whether your tomatoes failed or not in that particular area, it is a lot easier to respond to f- feedback and apply self-regulation to something that is happening as a pattern repeatedly than something that's a one-off. So if you're recording everything that happens with all of your plants, you know, harvests that are failing, um, types of compost that aren't working for you, you're going to be able over time to see those patterns and then you're, I guess, more likely to, to, to change them, right? Yep. And then, of course, is the, yeah, creating the negative and, and positive sort of feedback loops uh, is, is a good one. So this is one that was brought up to me and, and it really encapsulates for me what the self-regulation is about. So let's say you we've – all, we've all been guilty of this, I think – is in the middle of summer, you know it's going to be a stinking hot day. Mm. And you really need to, you know, you need to water your plants in the morning before you go to work, right? So that they've got a nice bank of water, and don't you don't come home to horribly droopy, <laughs> completely parched. stressed out, parched plants. But you're one of those people like me that in the morning you're like you're running around trying to get things done, trying to organise kids, exactly all of that sort of stuff. So, what's a little thing you can implement? Well, I know this might be really a horrible thing to suggest to some people, but, you know, maybe set your alarm a little bit earlier. Yeah, you know, I'm, you... I'm not sure I agree with this one, Henry. <laughs> good, good. I think it's good to disagree. Um, but, you know, if possible, of course, kids and everything in mind, set your alarm or modify the schedule in some way uh, where you have an extra 10 minutes in the morning mm. uh, during summer, for example, just to give yourself that little bit of breathing room and then leave your watering can somewhere where you will absolutely see it before you go to work. Mm. Leave it on your kitchen counter, leave it by your front door, leave it on top of the hood of your car. I don't know, whatever works. And then that way have that constant reminder every day, water your plants. It's going to be 35 degrees today. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Again, with these things, the more you do them, the more natural they become and you can start to phase them out. It's not a forever thing. Another one is let's say you are trying to cycle more to work. So, you know, again, this isn't specifically gardening, but it is very permaculture in the sense of being sustainable. Uh, you're trying to cycle more to work. Maybe maybe your office is only five kilometres away. So unless it's a horrible storm, you can ride to work, right? But as you know, if, if and I have been one of these people again where sometimes it's just easier to just jump in the car or, you know, whatever it might be. So put your helmet by the front door. 
So again, you always see it hanging on the front doorknob. And more importantly, put your car keys somewhere completely different. Hmm. Put them in the back corner of the house, separate them from your house keys, put them in the in the spare room. And <laughs> that's ridiculous, but kind of force yourself to be reminded. Um, you know, and this is why this permaculture principle is difficult for some people, because it does require that you are a bit hard with yourself yeah, sometimes, yep. I think. Uh, but yeah, anyway, do you have any, any comments or thoughts or questions about this one? I've been, I've been taking it all on board and squiggling down notes and you'll probably, you'll, you can by all means tell everybody, but um, <laughs> I've had a big smile across my face as we've been going because I've recognised and realised some of my own downfalls around these sorts of things about, you know, wanting to have the extra 15 minutes of sleep or likely forgetting my keys if I've put them over the other side of the house where they usually (laughs) are and then forgetting where I've put them. Um, But I I, I do. I do like this. Um, Even the idea of the recording everything and and making sure that you can keep that diary because I I must admit I am a bit of a rogue gardener in that respect. Mm. I I, I do like planting things without labeling them i like throwing things in there and then trying to learn and identify just by sight and a few other different strategies and also at play. a good thing though but mm. i think this uh, this could take um this is re- really valuable and i often have a think about when do i try something new and it works 100 percent first time rarely very very yeah. rarely mm. It is very much on the trial and error side. So having that ongoing feedback and the ongoing relationship about what's working, what's responsive, that sort of stuff, I, I, I totally get it. And sometimes I, I, I read the, the topic of the, um, of the permaculture principle and it might not resonate, but then when you dive into it and think about actually what does this mean, it, it really takes a lot more shape there as well. Love it. Thank you, Henry. Yeah, no worries. Uh, you know, to sum it up in one sentence is... Be a little bit hard on yourself mm. if you have to, but also try and learn as much as possible. See everything as a lesson, yeah, and and take everything in, in that in that sort of spirit. That's really what this permaculture principle is about. Um, yeah, don't feel that you have to wake up fifteen minutes earlier. That's just one example, but <laughs> maybe have a think in your life about those things that you. Or in, in your garden, let's let's keep it to gardening. Have a think about those things in the garden that you maybe you put off or you forget, or you're just a bit lazy about. We all have those things, mm. um, you know, taking out the the food scraps to the compost, whatever it might be, and and try and find a novel way to remind yourself through positive or negative reinforcement, whatever works for you. Yep. To do those, build some <laughs> build some new habits. I love build I, some habits. I, I do like it. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Henry, no for worries. the uh, for that spotlight. I think it's time that we do jump on to another song. And this one, again, is an absolute classic. Mm-hmm. This is The Kinks, Sunny Afternoon. Called TAD to remodel my place. Said I wanted it to be that kind of place. Knee deep in the Renault, sinking in our fights. Other shonky builders 
Waking me up at night And Adam plays the boss man He listens to the customer Don't you remember He built this kitchen He built this kitchen with T-A-D We built this kitchen We built this kitchen with T-A-D We built this kitchen We built this kitchen with T-A-D And welcome back. Welcome back to the gardening show. Uh, TAD cabinets. That's it. Absolutely. Local. Let's get behind them. That's it. Cool. Let's, uh, once again, uh, as we said, yep, gardening show, Radio Karen, Henry and Brendan. Welcome back. And, and that was Sunny Afternoon. By the Kinks. By the Kinks. And that was an interesting one because it's a bit of a polar to what we were doing, a hazy shade of winter earlier on. <laughs> we're going in the sun and sunny afternoon. I bet we would all love to have a little bit of, I, I must admit, I was missing that summer kind of glow from mm. the sun. And uh, we're right in the crux of winter. It's, there's a bit of winter blues about. It's but getting chilly. It yeah. would be nice to get a nice <laughs> bit of sunshine. It would. Spring is not too far away. No, that's in right. In the grand scheme of things. But yeah, I mean, speaking of spring, spring flowers, uh, let's talk about this week's spotlight, which is a plant, mm. sweet alyssum. This has been great. I've really enjoyed yeah. uh, doing a bit of a deep dive into this. And again, funnily enough, it's really quickly before you jump into mm. it, is, um, it's something that I've seen plenty of times, yeah. haven't really known the value, the function, the purpose, the benefits, all of those sorts of things. And it all kind of clicks into place. It does the Tetris in my brain and, and yeah, I love it. But take us away on the sweet alyssum. Yeah, so my, my hope with these sections is to just help increase people's general plant knowledge uh, and, and techniques, I suppose, will be the other thing that we talk about. Mm. I think next week we're going to talk about a technique in, in specifically. Um so part of that is going to be using the botanical name as well. I don't expect anyone to remember this, but uh, with sweet alyssum, it's Lobularia maritima mm -hmm. or alyssum maritium, maritimum, I should say. Uh, so it's always nice to, to, to learn and you can start to see sort of how some of these terms work. Essentially, sweet alyssum, you've definitely seen it before. Mm. Yep. Almost certainly if you're a gardener um, and it's at every nursery, it's at every Bunnings. It's a species of low-growing flowering plant in the Brassiaceae family. So it's a, it's a brassica, essentially. So it's closely related to broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, kale, all these things. And if you look at it closely and you cut off one of the flower heads with a few of the leaves, it's like a doll-sized uh, cauliflower that's gone to flower. That's huh. kind of what it reminds me of. It has that very brassica looking stem and leaf structure. Yeah. Okay. In miniature. Uh, so, yeah, commonly known as uh, sweet alyssum or just alyssum um, or sweet allison. I've never heard that one before, but apparently that's what some people call it. Uh, and it's an annual plant. So, you know, it goes through its life cycle, I suppose, within a year, um, but it can be a short lived perennial depending mm. on. Um, you know, if you have no frost, 
Um, if you have a relatively stable temperature throughout the year, relatively speaking, it can live for longer, but it does, you know, well, let's get into a little bit of what it looks like. You'll get into some of the things about it as well. So uh, you'll, you'll know it as it's that really low carpeted in tiny white or pink flower plant that is um, often used as a ground cover or around rockeries or to soften the edge of a garden bed. Grows to between five and 30 centimetres tall, but typically you're going to see ones that are about maybe 10, 15 centimetres at most and sort of 20, 30, maybe 40 centimetres wide. Mm. Uh, so nice and low, it's very branched stems, which gives it a really dense sort of mat of colour, which means that it's, you know, very useful for many reasons, which I'm sure we'll go into. And the flowers have a, they're tiny, they're like five millimetres each. And a flower head might have oh, a dozen, 20 or so of them yep. on there. And come in all ranges of colours. As I said, typically they're going to be white, pink, violet, even a darker purple colour. But I have seen them in yellow and, you know, sort of a kind of rose red kind of colour as well. Uh, flowers are produced throughout its growing season. I can't for life remember exactly what their growing season is, but at least here in Victoria and in parts like where we are right now where we don't get frosts, at least my experience is they flower year round. Mm. They're never not in flower. And the thing that I love about them, and we talked about this in the last show, is how much they attract hoverflies in particular. I've yeah. never seen one in my garden without at least one little hoverfly dancing around it. They also attract aphids. So they can be really useful in that sense as a sacrificial plant. But yeah. What else can you use them for, Brendan? <clears throat> well, as you mentioned, um, uh, again, uh, really, really great attractors. Yeah. Um, so the the little flower head itself, as you mentioned, you're probably looking at twenty or thirty flowers yeah. just on the on the head, yeah. and it does take that umbel shape that we spoke about yeah. a little it while does, ago again, yeah. um, or the umbrella shape, a bit mm. of a spherical one. Um, these are great as a border plant um, in a garden row. In You could have them in a raised bed. Or you could have them potted. So they could go into any of those situations yeah. that we spoke about earlier on today. I like that you brought it back to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, very, very potent attractor for a number of beneficial insects. Um, you, you mentioned hoverflies before and um, it's... I kind of see this as, again, it's an attractor. Um, so especially if there's a spot away from the main part of the garden that you want your in, you don't want your insect friends to miss. Yep. Um, uh, one instance that I had was um, for a hydroponic setup, I, it was in the back and slightly under a veranda and I was trying to grow strawberries in there and I wasn't too sure if they were pollinating well mm. and that the pollination was happening from insects or, or if it was me from trying to self-pollinate it or, yep. or hand-pollinate it. Um, but again, to, to put some flowers in there, some potted colour like this one in this instance, just to bring the the insects across, to encourage them to say, hey, yep. we're still over here as well and there's a whole bunch of plants that you can also go and pollinate. Um, I think the it's great as a companion plant. Um, if there's a... Uh, 
interplanting them with other flowers as well. So um, having them as a just a part of a larger garden bed or, mm. or veggie bed I think is really great. In terms of maintenance, you can cut them back if they start to get too leggy. Um, they can self-seed and, as you said, they they're, they're actually can be quite prolific and spreading yeah. given the opportunity. Um, so you can sow them straight into the ground and then essentially just let the seeds flower and fall in the spot and, and likely regrow in the same area. Mm. There's, As you mentioned, there's a huge amount of varieties, there's a huge amount of colours um, and in some of the instances where you can buy uh, sweet alice I mean, as seeds, you're going to be looking at mixed seeds as well. Yeah. So you get that splash of multicolours going through or if you're inclined and your design is looking to be whites or pinks or yellows or whatever the case might be, you might just want to stay with the solid colour as well from a design point of view. Um, you mentioned, well, we did say that it was from the Brassica family. Yep. So these ones are edible. Entirely edible. Um, in terms of flavour and taste, I was listening, I was actually watching Epic Gardening. Oh, yep. So Epic Gardening we'll, we'll mention in a bit, but there was a really good spotlight on Sweet Alyssum as well. And saying again, a bit of a peppery sort of a taste, which often you'll get with the the brassicas and the flowers and things like this. Um, Preferring partial shade, it is resistant to heat and drought. And just to consider again as well, they're a Mediterranean plant. And so when you're selecting a location, it might be that that's something just just to think about. Um, And likewise, what we mentioned also is that we're in this coastal region. It's quite sandy here. Uh, It's actually quite good conditions for for sweet alisum to grow. It is. It is definitely. And, I, yeah, I love that you've mentioned that it's, it's a Mediterranean plant because it is one of those classic companion plants for Mediterranean produce. Mm. I will say tomatoes, tomatoes basils. peppers, basils, right? You always see them sort of together. But also uh, I think it's a really lovely, if you're a cottage garden kind mm. of guy, and I think I am, I don't, haven't yet done that in my patch, but I would love to have a more of a wild multiple layers and heights and colours of just dense flowers, you know, sort of real English cottage, gar- cottage garden type thing. It fills that really nice spot of ground cover where a lot of ground covers that you might think of are, are very more about the leaves than the flowers. Mm-hmm. But if you really want a dense, very low to the ground, dense mat of colour, especially, like you said, the mixed seeds, uh, this is your go-to for me mm. in terms of fulfilling that role in a cottage garden. But, yeah, let's let's talk about companion planting, So, which we talked about last show. This is a great uh, – sweet alyssum is a great companion plant for, to be honest, most things. Okay. It's it, – it's, the way I put it is it doesn't need or take a lot. Mm. from the garden and in that sense it's it works really well with a lot of things so lettuce it works really well with lettuce that's where i have it in my garden currently in my lettuce bed just a way to add a bit of color and potentially a bit of pepper uh, flavor into my salads as well it's a really good uh companion for the entire um solanaceae family or the nightshade family so this is tomatoes peppers eggplants um, also potatoes and then the uh, closely related tomatillos and, as we spoke about last time, the Cape gooseberries. Yeah. So very closely related together, those two. Roses. 
is another one. Uh, so kind of going back to the kind of maybe cottage garden sort of vibe, but in particular with roses, uh, as we might know by now, uh, roses are a hot magnet for aphids. Mm, <laughs> yes. Uh, but so uh, so is alyssum. So it could be used as a sacrificial companion plant uh, to protect your roses. Another one that it works well with, and this is another one we spoke about in the last show, is the, and I might mess this up, the umbelliferae, or the umbella is the other word for it, the, uh, the umble family. So uh, carrots, parsley, celery, fennel, parsnip, coriander, dill, cumin, they're all actually in the same family of plants, which is pretty wild to think about. Another great one there. Legumes as well. Um, yeah, peas in particular. And then also legumes that are very susceptible to aphids, which in my garden is broad beans. In broad beans. Broad beans. Yes. Just because they're so bushy. You know, mm. There's a lot of places for, for aphids to hide. And then uh, chard. So Swiss chard, rainbow chard, silver beet. It's all kind of the same sort of thing, right? Yep. <laughs> I think. Um, so there you go. I mean, that's that's probably three quarters of a good veggie patch right there. Absolutely. That it works with. So one plant that it doesn't work well with uh, in particular is sunflowers. Okay. So I think sunflowers produce a chemical that I guess inhibits the growth of certain plants. Um, any scientists listening, maybe correct me on this, but uh, I know that that is, is part of the reason why it doesn't work with sunflowers very well. Mm. Um, yeah, not a lot of examples I could find though of, of plants it doesn't work with. Okay, that's super positive. Yeah. Um, you got to love companion planting. Um, getting this uh, symbiosis happening for the benefit of everyone, um, what I'd love to reach out and request from our listeners yes. is tell us about other great pollinators or plants that you see getting plenty of attention from the, the, the insects, the beneficial insects, and send them in so that we can continue to learn and we can enjoy the benefits as well. Um, so please definitely tell us about those ones. Going back to the maintenance as well, I think I mentioned you can cut them back quite heavily yeah. in the summer. It was just one thing about maintenance. It was in the summer it can dry out, it can get a little bit leggy. You can take it back a good halfway sort of mm. cut back, a heavy trim back, and then let it come back again. Super uh, forgiving. Mm, mm. So give it a go. That's it. it. It's one of the cheapest potted colours you can buy. Uh, and seeds are super cheap too. You need to get it in your garden. Um, so speaking of gardens, let's go down the garden path, which is the next the name of the next song. <laughs> Do you like my, That's good. That's my good. terrible segue there? <laughs> uh, this is uh, obviously a classic Aussie band, uh, something for Kate, Down the Garden Path. Hi, I'm Freddie from Freddie's Kitchen. Let's get behind Radio Karam. Go Karam. back welcome back after listening to that I, now i want another coffee yeah <laughs> isn't it just a it's a melbourne it's a melbourne sound it, it's the like coffee the, brewing the grinder going the hair the goes up on the back of your neck oh, yeah. where's the where's the coffee at? <laughs> and what do we have what song was that uh that was down the garden path by something for kate and just as a quick one paul dempsey unbelievable singer 
What a voice. Yeah, huge uh, voice. What a songwriter. And I can't for the life of me remember the other two band members' names. Um, which yeah, is embarrassing. No, I should know that. But anyway, um, he's got a great solo career as well. Mm, yep. Really good songs. I haven't seen him live, but I've seen some footage and, and, and heard covers of, of when he's sung live. And yeah, yeah. unbelievable. All right, so let's kick into the last section for today. We are talking about books, shows, channel recommendations. So sharing some of the knowledge that we that we use, and it was interesting in comparing our notes that we had we didn't didn't think about it beforehand or or yeah. correspond beforehand, but we've actually touched on a couple of them um, together, which is great. So we'll hand we'll we'll have a look at those ones. But tell us books, shows, channel recommendations. Henry. Yeah, so I'll start with some books. So uh, one that I've actually – a couple that I've actually mentioned before. So if you are more interested in permaculture and in particular um, permaculture gardening in a sort of urban slash suburban context, the the gold standard now, I would, I would say, is uh, Retro Suburbia. One word, Retro Suburbia, by David Holmgren the co-creator, I suppose, uh, of, of the permaculture uh, concept and design system. So that's a good one. It's quite a tome. It's, it's thick, you know, a big, thick book, but it has um, – it's, it's all kind of labelled very nicely. It's got all coloured sort of tab sort of sections to it. So a, a great uh, re- resource book and not necessarily something you have to just go through all at once. Another one by uh, another permaculturalist and a uh, host on Gardening Australia, the Tasmanian host, Hannah Maloney, is called The Good Life. It has a subtitle as well, but I can't remember what that is exactly. Uh, But The Good Life by Hannah Maloney, uh, another great one, sort of going more specifically into, I guess, her context um, and a little bit of an... Not easier read, but a, a smaller book, I suppose, um, to get into. Really nice one. I've I've started really getting into that one myself, and one that I've just started reading because I've I finished my permaculture course and now I'm doing another course. Congratulations Thank as you. well, just quickly, um, Henry, on yeah. finishing the course. That's <laughs> Thank awesome. Thank you. I have to, I have to do one more class that I missed before I get my certificate, but. Um, I've taken the recommendation of um, a work colleague of mine and want to sort of learn a little bit more about the real practical, more science-based, deep knowledge of plants mm. and um, what why things work. Um, and as a result, I'm doing – it's called the Complete Urban Farmer course, also at series, and it's run by this amazing fella called Justin Calverley. And he's written a book alongside series called The Urban Farmer. Mm. So it's a really good one. I've got a free copy. Well, it wasn't free. I paid for the course, but it came as part of the course. And it is it touches on permaculture certainly a little bit because uh, Justin is has been a permaculturalist and s- still does design permaculture gardens. But um, it it goes a bit more into sort of I guess horticulture, but also more into just growing food and all the you know, the real deep knowledge about that. So that's my textbook. So I'm sure I'll have more to say about that one. Nice. So they're the three 
main books that I would recommend. Um, if you had to start with one, I would say The Good Life by Hannah Maloney is a great entry into this sort of stuff mm-hmm. um, that I've been talking about. And another one, and I've actually I brought it in here and I was showing Brendan during the song, is uh, a proper botany book, like a botany textbook. Mm. Um, I've it doesn't have to be like my one, which we were looking it up. It was pre- <laughs> it was printed in 1930, so it's nearly a hundred years old. This one is Botany for Australian Students by Agnes A. Brewster. That's a great name, and Constance M. Laplastrier. Another great name. It's a yeah, it's a small textbook. It's probably a a five size, a five. Um, one of these old green leather bound things. Um, but I like botany textbooks because they teach you the the real science behind plants. Mm. And for me, I just want to learn a little bit more about that sort of stuff. But in a practical sense, we talked a bit about plant identification mm. a few shows ago with apps. And I want to also learn a bit of that skill myself. So I can see a plant and say, if I don't have my phone on me, I can't take a photo, is to say, okay, well, that has humble flowers and mm. it has this kind of a seed pod and the leaves are in this formation or this configuration and to just have that those terms and that knowledge I think is going to make me a better gardener in the long term and a better horticulturalist and a better permaculturalist so yeah again I got this one at an op shop for five dollars now I realize it probably should have cost a lot more it's nearly a century old <laughs> but you know Op shops are a great resource. Yeah, we were talking about before. Op shops are brilliant, especially for books as well, because um, yeah. you're always going to have that section of it's cooking, gardening, all that sort of always. stuff down the bottom. You'll you'll have twenty books there that you can kind of yeah. select, and you can specialize as well. In you might see something, and you might be super keen on bonsai, for example. And there's see, always a bonsai book. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Well, like uh, roses in Tasmania, they get really specific. <laughs> Um, but you know, I think it's nice to build a library and you can do it really cheap. Yeah. Yeah. A dollar, two dollar, three dollars a book. So that's my books. And then, yeah. Uh, the other one I want to get into is, is, you know, I could go into TV and say like gardening Australia, obviously. Yeah. I, I definitely recommend that if you don't watch it, but, um, YouTube, I think is such a great resource. I think if there's something that you don't know or that you, or something that you want to know, there's a video about it on YouTube. And it might be three minutes, it might be three hours. You can find any sort of level that you want. Mm. And there's a lot of channels um, that I follow and, and there's a few that we both follow. So I'll just, I'll talk about some and I've crossed out the ones that you also have so you can talk about them a bit more. But one that I really like is Epic Homesteading, which is related to Epic Gardening, which you'll talk about a little bit. Uh, but Epic Homesteading is uh, the second channel from a guy called Kevin Spiritu, uh, where he essentially has my dream garden. That's the way I would describe it. It's like a th- maybe a quarter or a third of an acre with a small house, and he's just put everything in there, everything you've ever wanted, chickens, greenhouse, 5,000-litre water tank, mm. water features, fruit trees, and he just kind of goes into that and picks certain topics and just – yeah, I don't know. If you like DIY, if you like gardening, if you like sustainable living, it's a really good one for that. Related to this as well, his um, 
I suppose, business partner now and his friend, um, Jacques, has a channel called Jacques in the Garden. So that's J-A-C-Q-U-E-S, Jacques in the Garden. This guy's a lot more chill and relaxed. I love his channel because he only started gardening at the start of COVID. And he now has the most impressive food growing garden I have ever seen Mm. in a suburban context. And that all started at COVID. Before that, he didn't do any gardening. He was a PhD geology or something. Okay. PhD. Um, And then just started growing a bit of food, a couple of tomatoes during COVID. And now he's – and he's because he's a scientist by trade. He really tries to optimize everything. So if you really want to learn some good stuff, that's a good one. Homesteading Down Under. So this is uh, another great little channel, one that I don't think has that much of a following compared to some of these others. Um, It's uh, a guy and his wife, I think. It's just like a couple that live, I don't know, I think it's maybe in, yeah, out in the country somewhere. They've got a small property, a little homestead property, and yeah, just a nice, easy one to watch. And it has that Australian context, which I think is really good, particularly if you live in a similar climate. Kirsten Dirksen is another. I've got quite a list here. Sorry, everybody. Kirsten, okay. Kirsten Dirksen, which is where that video that you talked about the other day, yeah. uh, Greenhouse in the Snow, came from. Yep. Um, this woman uh, travels around the world with her family, her husband and their two kids, I believe, basically living the dream of just meeting interesting people in the sustainability, eco-housing, small homes, uh, you know, interesting gardening, all these sorts of things, and just interviews and meets them and gets tours around their places. We're talking deep. We're talking th- literally thousands of, of videos that have been put out. Many of them are over an hour long, uh, even a few longer sort of documentaries as well about certain topics. So if you want to go down a rabbit hole of cool, nifty things you can do at home, that's a really good one. Happen Films. Uh, this is another Australian one started by somebody who I think did a permaculture design course mm-hmm. and then they sort of went this direction, which is highlighting some interesting permaculture gardens and growers, um, sustainable living, um, again, all in this sort of Australian context, uh, stuff about composting and, you know, just all that sort of stuff. A really good one there. Happen Films. Only a few more here from me. No, uh, keep keep going. The Kiwi Grower, all one word, mm-hmm. the Kiwi Grower. I love this guy. He's a, well, you probably guess he's a Kiwi. <laughs> and he has a sort of small kind of homesteady kind of property. And his thing is growing weird, interesting food plants. Right. Often just from seed at the supermarket or from a market or something. He just gives it a go. And then teaches you what he knows about it, growing it from you know seed to, to tasting it and, and you know, lots of interesting, weird tropical fruits, which he's growing in New Zealand, by the way, which is you know no, no, no small feat. Mm. Um, but just a really lovely guy. You know, some people that are just born to be presenters. Mm. He's one of these people. Uh, so that's a really nice one. No-till growers. So this is, if you're interested more in urban farming and in particular small-scale market gardens, 
uh, or not so small scale market gardens. This is a great little channel. There's also they also have a podcast as well, which goes into the practicalities of running a small urban farm in terms of cost and how do you manage weeds on paths and all these sorts of topics. So that's a really good one. Sorry. And um, last one for me is Grow Veg. One word, Grow Veg, who's this uh, this really, let's say maybe quirky. That, that's a bit of a strong term, but you know, it's just like it's just a cool like English fella, British fella um, who, yeah, it's very Gardening Australia-like okay. the way that he presents. And I believe he has created um, sort of a, a computer program of some kind, some piece of software that enables you to really nicely plan out your garden and then move in different kinds of crops mm. and they take up the right amount of space. And it's like a little tool that he sort of, you know. So looking at crop rotation and a bit of software design for that. Yeah. Interesting. That sort of stuff. So anyway, um, yeah, those are mine. So mm. I've got quite got quite a lot no no you've gone into some really good detail and um and as well what what each of those channels can be for uh, yeah. um and a bit of a theme to them as, as well which i think is super helpful thank yeah. you uh i'll go through a couple of them as well and you mentioned us of course we did have a few crossovers and epic gardening was one of them yeah. kevin from epic gardening uh one one of the things i really like i love how he's wood chipped everything for his yes. paths um, and bringing in wood chip onto wood chip. We spoke about that a little while ago. Um, but he's a young guy. He's super passionate, super motivated, got great energy. Um, so definitely check him out. Another one, again, when we're talking about uh, contagious uh, enthusiasm is on self-sufficient me and, uh, yeah, Awesome setup from up in Queensland. Yeah. And what's the catchphrase for that one? He goes, let's get into get it. Get into it. <laughs> with, a, with a huge thumbs up, which gets bigger every episode. Yeah. <laughs> and he's awesome. He, he, again, very no frills. He's not talking at a really, really high level of knowledge in gardening. It's very, mm. it's very hands-on. It's very everybody can uh, understand what's what's being presented and, and the ideas behind it and how it works and things like that. So very much a recommendation there. Um, in terms of the books and, and jumping back a little bit into books, I think a good gardening encyclopedia um, is always yes, good. As you absolutely. You jumped into the botany and looking at the science behind it, which is absolutely brilliant and and I think really cool to look, to go into those deep dives. A good gardening encyclopedia, something that you can just – go back to as a research research, mm. research point. Um, always good, we mentioned before, checking out the op shops. Uh, I've got a book called What Garden Pest or Disease Is That? <laughs> by that. Judy McMahon. Um, we've got, I was gifted a book by one of my friends, John, uh, and his partner, Fell. They gave me an edible garden design book by Jamie Jury. Oh, okay. And it's actually, it's, it's really good. Um, picking awesome. out different locations, different examples, and then showcasing those examples and talking about why and what was their inspiration behind it, passion behind it, those sorts of things, which is cool. Uh, also, another one, Gardening Lab for Kids, 52 Fun Experiments. This one you can actually get from Liebird, uh 
community, the, the library down at, uh, on Lybird, uh, near the community centre there. Okay. Yep. I've just returned it today, so it's available. Oh, all right. <laughs> Get down there, guys. <laughs> but again, that was just one that I had chanced upon and I had some really great ideas for uh, gardening with kids and projects and things like that that we could use. Um, what else? YouTube. On the YouTube front, I actually had a couple. You, we, we went through and we did Epic Gardening. We also both had um, Self-Sufficient Me. We both had Hugh, Hugh Richards. Um, Hugh, H-U-W, Richards. Yep. He's over in the UK. Again, a young guy, really, really bright, great knowledge, um, great presenter and mm. talks about things just at a really... I'd say, pun intended, but grassroots level. Yes, uh, <laughs> and very permaculture-inspired as well. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, on the permaculture front, Discover Permaculture with Jeff Lawton, um, who is, of course, an absolute guru on the on the permaculture side of things. I've never heard of this person. So I've, this is one I'm absolutely going to check out tonight when I get home. Definitely, yeah. really good. And uh, another one from over in the UK, Charles Dowding oh. and... Again, it does a lot of no-dig approach. Um, uh, hugely. He literally wrote the book on no-dig gardening. Yeah. Um, he, great knowledge. Yeah. Great knowledge. There, there was one more thing that I wanted to jump into when it came to resources and super quickly is, if you've heard of it, Reddit. Yeah. So, Reddit, for those that may not be familiar, it's a website and, of course, an app that you can download. It's got... Many, 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 many different subreddits um, yeah. of various topics, and essentially, if if it was something that you were searching for, you can simply search for. I've got two that I look at quite a lot. Okay, one is um, a subreddit called Vegetable Gardening. Okay, and one is a subreddit called Permaculture. Um, so very much uh, self-explanatory in that respect. Um, what I really find about this is. It's got it's it's a constantly it's user community driven so people yeah. are posting their own things. It, they're very much asking questions. Um, they're what disease is this? What bug is this? Is this a beneficial bug? What's eating my tomato? What, help me identify this disease. And under each one of them, there is tons of responses so you can see people who will respond to that and say ah that's blossom rot ah that's tomato hornworm or ah this is this this is what you need to do with it ah you can try neem oil you can try whatever it might be it's very very cool and in the future i actually uh, i think we harvest some i'd love to harvest some of those question and answers that might be relevant for our area and climate that we can take on board. Like an AMA sort of yeah, ask me yeah. anything. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, that's, that's pretty much it from my side. Oh, I was going to mention that the other thing that's really cool on, on the Reddit side of vegetable gardening is that often you see some celebrating of both polar extremes. So you see these unbelievable huge harvests and you're just like, wow, I wish I could grow that. And also celebrating the tiniest of harvests, and you'll see right. a picture, and it'll say, "Look at this massive harvest I've grown, and it's a tiny little tomato, <laughs> only one of, but still they're having it a go." And it it kind of takes that away from you it, 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 when I've had experiences in the garden, and they haven't been exactly what I've been aiming for. Yeah, not to be too disappointed, and actually just to take a bit of fun in in what you do, what you manage to grow, Absolutely. even if it's a tiny teeny tiny little corn or, or tomato. It's all good. It's all about the process. 
not just the outcome mm. and things like that. Uh, that's great because I I have the Reddit app on my phone and I never use it. I've only ever used it for when someone has sent me a link. Yep. And then it says, would you like to open it in the app or on the blah? And I just said, I'm just going to get the app. It'll be easier. And I've never really used it. So I'm going to sign up to those as well. And just one little note on your YouTube recommendations as well, because you touched on two that really focus on the two of the kinds of gardening we talked about today. So in the ground, if you're really interested in growing things in the ground and doing so in the most effective, least destructive way to your soil, do definitely look into Charles Dowding, Mm. um, no dig gardening, because he's the godfather of of this sort of um, approach. Um, and if you're really into raised beds, self-sufficient me, yeah. Mark with self-sufficient me, if you want to see a raised garden, bed garden that will blow your socks off, mm. it's this guy in Queensland. He's got maybe 30, 50 of these big raised garden beds <laughs> growing an immense amount of food. Um, yeah, so I just thought I'd add those in there as well. That's definitely one of my favorites, self-sufficient me. Excellent points. Good sharing. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, on one final note, and then we'll wrap up the show, of course, because we have gone. Oh my goodness! Well, and truly. over two hours. Hey, we're, we're setting new records at this rate. By Christmas, we'll be doing four-hour shows. Um, one final note, and I say this almost as a reminder to myself again, mm-hmm. creating that negative sort of feedback loop for myself <laughs> is: do not forget. Uh, that this, as you see, there's so much amazing information online. Mm. You can get lost in it to the point where you you're not actually even going out and giving it a go, and that's where you learn the most in gardening. As you said, Brendan, trial and error, but also you know good design and things. But actually doing the work mm. in the garden is going to teach you way more than watching all of these videos and reading all of these books ever will. Yep, and so, share share as and well. Share. Everybody's got great research out there. One of the things that I love is is listening to some of um, the more experienced uh, gardeners and, and uh, at the local community garden, yeah. some of the elderly gardeners because they have amazing knowledge. They're happy to share. They're super passionate. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. Well, that is about it for another episode of The Gardening Show. We've done extremely well. Um, thank you, Henry. My thank pleasure. you, listeners. Thank you for sticking around, if you still are <laughs> sticking around. What's uh, coming up in the next show? So we've got another big one in the next show. Uh, so we're going to touch on a pretty massive topic. Um, so we'll just try and give some really practical tips here. But composting and composting types of composting. So the main one we want to talk about is worm farms. Mm, which is cool really one of the easiest ways to deal with your food scraps, to be honest. As we mentioned before, garden myth busting, old wives' tales, uh, folklore, you know, just things that um, you've maybe heard, you've almost certainly heard before and we'll dig into a few of them and, and sort the uh, the wheat from the chaff. Mm. And if we do... Pun intended. I like, I like <laughs> these puns. If you do have any myths that or, or folklore questions that you've got yeah. about gardening, please send them in to us as well so that we can have a bit of a dive and and uncover because it might be something that That's is it. new for us as well. Less bodily fluid ones though. I think we've, <laughs> we've touched on that pretty comprehensively today. <laughs> uh, we'll also talk about the fifth 
permaculture principle, which is uh, using and valuing renewable resources and services. So this is, again, very Mm self-explanatory. So this one will really focus on the practical tips and tricks that we can use that you maybe haven't thought of to um, find and use renewable resources and services. I like it. We'll do a spotlight. Uh, this one will be on a technique as opposed to a plant. We're going to mm-hmm. do a spotlight on winter pruning. Yes. We need to start thinking about doing that if we haven't already. Mm. Um, definitely before those buds start to open on our dormant plants. And we will do some Q and A's from online posts to share. So as we said before, perhaps from Reddit or other sources online, mm-hmm. we will find some, you know, popular questions, ones that come up a lot, perhaps. That's right, yeah. I yeah. think something that maybe people will have come across or stumbled across problem-wise yeah. uh, many, yep. many times and hopefully solve a few of those or suggest a few, That's a few ways um, to resolve them. There you go. That's okay. going to be a pretty chunky show. I don't think we need to do any more than that. No, no. But that's, that's looking long already. And events. What events have we got on? So we have one event I'd like to um, yeah, talk about is this Saturday. So this Saturday, the 29th of June, uh, from 10 until 1, there's going to be a Learn to Grow Some Food for Beginners event at the Orwell Street Community House. That's O-R-W-I-L, Orwell Street Community House, uh, which is at 19 Orwell Street in Frankston. This is run, obviously, by the Community House and the Community Plate, the the local group. It says, come and plant up some veggie seedlings to take home. So learning a little bit about that introduction on, on, yeah, growing food. Um, you'll learn how to, how to get started, you know, try a small project and, and, you know, how to use limited space. Uh, places are limited. So if you are interested, do book a spot online, uh, at the Orwell Street Community House website. That's, uh, Orwell Street or S-T-O-R-W-I-L-S-T dot org dot A-U slash book dash online or book hyphen online. Uh, there will be a free lunch provided and children are welcome. So it's a good chance to get the family involved in some gardening, of course. And as a bonus, I will be there, me in the flesh, Mm -hmm. answering your gardening questions in person over lunch. So from 12.15 to 1, um, I will be at your mercy. Uh, Throw them at me. And Brendan, you might make it too, potentially. So. Yeah, yep. I'm going to check the calendar, see if we can sneak down there. Wonderful. Um, I might have uh, a young, a little person in tow, but nevertheless, I think it would be good fun, good opportunity. All good. So, yeah, once again, allstreetst.org.au slash book dash online if you are keen on reserving a spot uh, this Saturday from 10 until 1. Most excellent. Let's go there. Henry, thank you so much. My pleasure, Brendan. Thank you for for sitting in for so long. This Uh, was a big one. It was. It was good. It was good. And uh, just talking in in general, we we will remind everybody again, don't forget to send through any gardening questions on 0493 213 831 or email us at downsestatecommunications at gmail.com. And a huge, huge thank you to all of the listeners. Um, We wish you a great and happy couple of weeks and for everybody to get into the garden. 
See you then.